Welcome to Life Study of the Bible, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. In 1924, Witness Lee was dynamically saved by the Lord as a young man in his native China, and he promptly consecrated the rest of his life to the gospel. He co-labored with Watchman Nee for parts of the next three decades, and in 1962, Witness Lee was led by the Lord to come to the United States. During his 35 years of service to the Lord in America, he ministered in weekly meetings and weekend conferences, delivering thousands of spoken messages. Much of his speaking has since been published as more than 400 titles, many of which have been translated into numerous foreign languages. He gave his last public conference in February 1997 at the age of 91. We're happy today to be able to bring you recorded excerpts from his speaking and encourage you to contact us if you have any further questions or comments. Please send email to radio at lsm.org. Now, let's join today's program. On two occasions in the history of the children of Israel, God caused waters to be held back so that Israel could pass over. The first time, of course, was their crossing of the Red Sea, providing them an escape or an exodus out of the land of Egypt. All Bible scholars agree that this miracle is actually a type of our own baptism, affecting our own escape from the corrupt world that is under God's condemnation and judgment. The second time such a miracle occurred was when the children of Israel were crossing the Jordan River, this time providing them an entrance into the good land, the land of Canaan. The interpretation on this point is not so clearly understood. Many believe that this crossing refers to the believer's passage through physical death and their entrance into heaven. But as we will see today, such an interpretation misses the real significance of the crossing of the River Jordan. Bob Danker has joined us today as we consider this matter from Joshua chapters 3 and 4. Welcome back, Bob. It's good to be back, Chris. Bob, I'd like to talk uh, at the beginning here today about this point we just raised in the opening. Uh, on the one hand, it's easy to see why this is a common interpretation. I think before we go on, let's just read a few of these verses from chapter 3. I think helps convey the thought and the feeling here. And then we'll talk about why this either could be interpreted or shouldn't be interpreted as crossing through physical death and into heaven. Okay, and Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow Jehovah will do wondrous things in your midst. Then Joshua spoke to the priests, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross over before the people. And they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. And Jehovah said to Joshua, On this day I will begin to magnify you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, I will be with you. And when you come to the edge of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And when the soles of the feet of the priests who carry the ark of Jehovah, the Lord of all the earth, come to rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters that flow down from upstream will be cut off, and they will stand in a heap. And so it happened, and the people crossed over from opposite Jericho, and the priests who carried the ark of the covenant of Jehovah stood firmly on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan, while all Israel was crossing over on dry ground until all the nation had completely crossed over the Jordan. Sounds familiar in a lot of ways, doesn't it, Bob, to the story in Exodus? 
It does, Chris, only it has a different significance this time. As you pointed out in your introduction, the crossing of the Red Sea symbolizes baptism as a deliverance out of the world. Right. And you remember in that crossing, Pharaoh and his army were buried in the Red Sea. But all the details in this crossing are different, and the significance is different. Uh, as you said before, uh, many believers uh, consider this as a picture of our passing through physical death, that is, the chilly waters of the Jordan, and entering into heaven as our final destination. But as we will see, this is not a proper interpretation of this passage here in the book of Joshua. Uh, actually, all the people of Israel, as one corporate people, crossed this Jordan. And they crossed here not to enter into a happy place for their comfortable right. enjoyment, but they crossed to enter into a war where they were fighting against the occupants of that land, the Canaanites. That's right. And so this shows us that all the uh, events here that we will see later show us that the crossing of the Jordan typifies our experience of the death of Christ, our being one with Christ in his death and in his resurrection. And the children of Israel's entering into the good land Mm -hmm. symbolizes our entering into the heavenlies to fight against the satanic authority of darkness, as mentioned in Ephesians chapter 6, in the heavenlies, to defeat Satan and his hosts, to conquer them, to carry out God's purpose on the earth. Bob, the matter of the Jordan representing death is not altogether wrong. It's just applied uh, maybe in a wrong way, and it's not physical death that's being typified here, but there's another death. And it's interesting that the common interpretation goes from baptism right to the physical death and entrance into heaven, skipping the whole matter of the Christian life uh, in the process. And that, in many ways, we have to say kind of a fair representation of how people approach uh, the whole matter of the Christian life. It's that we get saved, we get born again, represented by our baptism, and then one day we'll die and go to heaven. But I think this ministry again and again brings us back to what is in God's heart, God's desire, even God's need is what transpires between these two events in the life of a Christian, isn't it? That's right. The crossing of the Jordan was necessary so that they could bury their old fallen man which had been thoroughly exposed in the previous 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Now the time had come when they were to put off that old man and were to become a new man in the resurrection of Christ to fight the battle. So the death here that's important in this passage is not the physical death, but it's the death in Christ to the old man. Exactly right. We'll find out a lot about that before we're through today. Let's join Witness Lee. Now we come to Israel's crossing the river Jordan. Do you believe Israel, in their old man, could win the victory? So their old man has to be buried, that they could become the new man. You have to see, this corresponds to New Testament economy of God. These children of Israel got buried into the death of Christ. And then they got resurrected, also in the resurrection of Christ. And this indicates even 
in the Old Testament time, the children of Israel were identified with Christ. So they passed through Christ's death to get their old man buried and to become a new man in Christ for the fighting of the spiritual warfare. We have to realize our natural man, our old man, is altogether not qualified to fight the spiritual warfare for gaining Christ. We have to see God's intention is to join us to Christ, to make an organic union between us and Christ. Then we and Christ became one. What he experienced becomes our experience. He died on the cross and we died with him too. He was buried and we were buried with him too. And he resurrected from the dead and we all have been resurrected from the dead. And now we are persons in Christ. We today as God's chosen people have been identified with Christ to experience what he has gone through making his history ours that we and he and he and we could have one history his history is our story and our story is his history here you do have the organic union hallelujah Bob, this uh, matter of the crossing of the Jordan and what it typifies, rightly so, we can say it's death, but it's a question of which death we're now talking about. And, uh, of course, the key element here is this identification, this union, this organic union with Christ, isn't it, as God prepares his people, Old Testament and New Testament, to fight the battle with him. That's right, Chris. This picture here is a portrait of the New Testament reality. When we believe in the Lord Jesus, we are joined to him organically. This organic union is something that takes place in our spirit. When the Lord, as the Spirit, enters into us and we are joined to him organically, in this union, whatever Christ has experienced becomes our experience. His history becomes our history. His death on the cross becomes our death on the cross. His resurrection becomes our resurrection together with him. And this is all, of course, symbolized by our baptism. When we are baptized, something is put in the water Mm -hmm. and buried there, and then it rises up out of the water, a new creation, a new man. This is a picture of the spiritual organic union that we have with Christ in our spirit. And as we live and experience this organic union, then we uh, actually apply all the history of Christ to ourselves, including his death and his resurrection. It's really a fact. Our old man is absolutely useless in fulfilling God's purpose. Uh, If we remain in our old man, we will be defeated by God's enemy, and we already are defeated by God's enemy just by staying in the old man. It's absolutely crucial that we identify ourselves with Christ 
and especially with his death on the cross. And we also need to identify with him in his resurrection, in which we are joined to him and we are a new man in him. Bob, I think if we would go back and review a little bit the story we read a moment ago in chapter 3, one of the key elements I think that's often overlooked, I think what most uh, people most of the time we're interested in is who got through, who crossed through, and of course that was the children of Israel typifying us, we know. But what's important here is that it begins with the ark. The Lord commanded Joshua, take up the ark and cross over before the people. And it was when the soles of the feet of the priests who were bearing the ark, when that touched the water, then they're held up. This matter of the ark and really what that typifies is the focus of our next segment. The ark of God was a tap of Christ, the very embodiment of God. So when the ark of God went together with Israel, that means the triune God went with them, taking the lead. You tell me, who was the first one who stepped into the water of Jordan? Dark, right? The triune God. Think about it. The triune God and all the burying priests became a culprit person. God walked in their working, and they walked in God's working. Wonderful. Who was standing still in the waters? The triune God. Alone? No. But wait, the burying priest. Have you seen the picture? And today it is exactly the same when he walked together as a corporate man. When the burying priests, they dipped their feet into the water, right away the waters rose up to be heaped. What is this? (laughs) This is the first miracle for Israel to enter into the good land. And the second miracle is what? Is the falling down of Jericho. Right? They just bear the ark and shout for seven days. Wasn't that another miracle? And the third one, one day while Israel was slaughtering all the demon-possessed people, they realized, especially Joshua, just one day, 24 hours, would not be sufficient. Too many to slaughter. So God stopped the sun and the moon for 24 hours. Last 20 minutes. Wasn't this another miracle? If you were there, what would you say? You would jump up to say, Hallelujah, our God is real, is true. Is living and is acting. Well, Bob, every believer likes to hear stories of miracles, and here are three great ones, as he just pointed out. But more than just talk about the fact that God is able to accomplish miracles for his people, I thought it was significant that this section begins with this matter of the ark and how critical 
the ark and what it represents is in our experience of uh, God, whether he is uh, you know, performing miracles or doing whatever in terms of bringing us through in his economy. Yes, this picture here, Chris, actually is a marvelous portrait showing how God and his people move together as one entity. Mm-hmm. You know, into taking over the good land, God did not remain in heaven and send the Israelites and say, okay, go and fight the battle. I'll be backing you up, yeah. and I'll make sure you gain the victory. And neither did God enter the good land himself, by himself, right, right. to destroy all the tribes, and then the people of Israel simply walk in and take over. What you see here is a portrait. The ark, which is a symbol of Christ— as the embodiment of the complete triune God. This ark was on the shoulders of the priests. So you can see here the priests representing the nation of Israel as a corporate people and the ark representing the triune God. With this picture of the ark moving on the priest's shoulders, what we have is a picture of God and his people moving together, walking together, working together as a corporate person, a corporate new man to enter into this land and to defeat all the enemies, to fight the battles that needed to be fought, to take over that land for God's economy. Really interesting, Bob, as you were speaking, and it's quite striking that uh, certainly it's the Lord who performed these miracles, but he did it in conjunction, in cooperation, and coordination with the people. In other words, it was when they marched around seven times with the ark that the wall fell. When they stepped into the water bearing the ark that the waters uh, were held up in a heap. So he waits to perform his uh, works of mighty power uh, until his people are in a condition where they can cooperate and coordinate fully with him, doesn't he? What a marvelous portrait yeah. this is. God is working there, no doubt, doing miraculous things. But at the same time, he is moving there in coordination with, even in union with, even as one entity yes, with his people. his people. This is a tremendous picture, and this should be our experience today. It must be our experience in the New Testament age if we are going to fulfill God's purpose. All right, Bob, let's go back to our story that we began with today, and that is the crossing over of the River Jordan uh, as the waters are held back. In chapter 4, there's a very fine point that gets missed and overlooked, and let's look at that for a moment. In verse 9, it says, Then Joshua erected twelve stones in the middle of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and there they are to this day. Something very significant, Bob, was left behind in the waters of the Jordan. And we'll find out about that in this portion just ahead. Joshua erected 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan where the ark was, signifying that the Lord wanted Israel in their old nature to remain under the dead water of the Jordan. And this indicates that the old man of the believers should remain in the death of Christ. Wonderful. Now, I will say with you, where are you? And you have to answer me, brotherly, as to me, my old man is under the death of Christ in the river of Jordan. But hallelujah, in his resurrection, I became and still am a new man. 
sitting here among all the saints listening to the word of God. The old man was there in Jordan, and the new man is here. Wonderful. Amen. Then the priest who carried the ark of Jehovah stood in the middle of Jordan until all the people had completely crossed over the river and everything was completed. What a picture. Who can move this way? And who can do this? But God, the triune God, embodied in the ark. When the priest standing there, they didn't need to be afraid. Why? The ark was there. To look at the ark, they have peace. As long as the triune God is here with us, that's okay. Today, in the same principle, when our old man buried, our new man is here, working for him, whatever befalls on you, that doesn't mean anything. We were dying with Christ, and we were buried with him, and we got resurrected in him to become something new. Ephesians 2 does tell us those believers who are dead in sin, they got resurrected and ascended to sit in the heavens with Christ. And Christ has made them all one new man. And this one new man to God is a poem, masterpiece. Bob, it's very interesting, very striking that he would inject this uh, word in Ephesians 2 right here. Uh, As we were finishing our fellowship in the last section, we were talking about how God is uh, blended, in a sense, into one entity with his people corporately as he uh, accomplishes his New Testament economy. And that is really the point of Ephesians chapter 2, isn't it? It really is, Chris. Actually, the experience of Israel in crossing the Jordan bringing up the 12 stones, leaving them on the banks of the Jordan as a monument, and leaving the other 12 stones in the Jordan as a sign that their old man had been buried and was remaining in the death of Christ. This is a picture of Ephesians 2.15, where it says that in Christ's death on the cross, he created the Jews and the Gentiles in himself, into one new man. That means the old man of the Jews and the old man of the Gentiles was terminated in the death of Christ. And then, in Christ's resurrection, these two peoples were created in Christ as the sphere and as the new element, the new life and nature, into one new man. This is a reality. And this is why Paul encourages us, even charges us, to put off the old man. Mm-hmm. Leave that old man in the tomb and don't let him come out. Just remain in Christ. Remain in the union with Christ, with the triune God. If we take care of this one thing, being one with the triune God, then he will work out everything. Right. The children of Israel had nothing to fear as long as they were one with God. When they were not one with God, that was when they had problems. 
Bob, this has been a, a wonderful uh, discovery today as we have, uh, we hope, dispelled the notion that the Jordan represents our physical death and our entrance into heaven. Rather, this is really the preparation for us to enter into the living experience of Christ day by day and seeing all of the things of the old man ejected so that we can possess Christ and enjoy him. Uh, this is really God's desire for his people today, not just wait to go to heaven. It is, Chris, and this is a marvelous portrait. If we could apply this picture to ourselves in our daily life, we would find out that the Lord would be with us. He would do everything to cause us to possess Christ as our good land and to enjoy all his riches so that we could become the body of Christ to fulfill his purpose. That's all the time we have for our program today. We hope that you will take advantage of printed material that's available that supplements these uh, programs each day. This life study volume of Joshua, it contains also the books of Judges and Ruth. You can find out about it and make arrangements to receive it by calling us toll-free at 1-888-LIFE-STUDY, 888-543-3788. For Bob Danker today, I'm Chris Weil. Thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, produced by Living Stream Ministry. Witness Lee ministered the Word of God for over seven decades. Many consider these life studies as his seminal work, an exhaustive commentary on the entire Bible from the perspective of the believer's enjoyment and experience of God's divine life in Christ through the Spirit. If you'd like to find out more about Witness Lee, these life study messages or any of the materials provided by Living Stream Ministry, please visit our website, lsm.org. That's lsm.org. You can also email us, radio at lsm.org, or call us toll-free, 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. Thanks for listening today.